freak out and worry when someone passes or when something passes. And it works like this. If God cannot lie and it's not part of his nature, and then Jesus died and three days later rises from the dead, conquers hell and death, now I know I have an anchor for my soul. I have two immutable things. Those two immutable things are the anchor for my soul. I live a specific lifestyle. And you and I both should live a specific lifestyle because I believe that this word is true. Twenty-five years passed between the end of 1 Samuel 7 and the beginning of 1 Samuel 8. We are introduced to a much older Samuel coming to terms with the challenges of preparing the nation for the end of his ministry. He had been faithful for many years, but his sons were not up to the task of spiritual leadership and the people knew it. Seasons of change and transition can be very hard for most of us, but God has shown through his word how we can process them ourselves and how we can prepare the next generation to serve God faithfully. In today's message, Pastor Mark will teach us how to prepare for seasons of change. Well, let's join Pastor Mark in the book of 1 Samuel chapter 8 with today's edition of Come Alive. Now it came to pass when Samuel was old that he made his sons judges over Israel. Just between verse 17 and verse 1, I know sometimes we we really don't think about it, but 25 years has passed between the end of chapter 7 and the first verse of chapter 8. And so Samuel is an old man about to pass from the scene, and a, and a new generation is going to emerge in Israel. And like we said before, you know, if Christianity can go extinct in one generation, if the other generation doesn't do something to usher it in to the younger generation. So you moms and dads, the question would be as we start, what are you doing in your homes, in your house? In your homes, in your house. Not here at church. In your homes, in your house. To usher in that new generation of Christianity. So anytime this happens, there are those who step up to be leaders. And and you kind of, if you've ever run a business or if you've ever worked, most of us do work in companies, but in places where you have multiple bosses, you know that most everybody wants to be a leader. Most everybody wants to be a boss. And and in our lives, we let someone lead, and, and sometimes we, we don't consider that, and the mistakes are many. And so why, you know, you have to ask yourself, why does everybody want to lead? Why, everyone likes to lead. But that doesn't mean that they're going to be a good leader. The leader, he's the one in charge. He doesn't, this guy may not take direction, so he may not be a good leader if he doesn't do that. Or maybe he just wants to give direction. He may not be a good leader if he just wants to do that. He may be a bit bold and boisterous. He may not be a good leader if he just does that. But there's a lot to be a good leader. Just because somebody wants to lead doesn't mean that they're going to make a good leader. When they thought they could do a better job and they were given a small task to do so, they couldn't even perform that small task well. So everybody thinks they can be a good leader because in your own mind, you're an amazing person. 
You know, you're, you're a legend, so to speak, but yet sometimes there's ruthless demands of service. A good true leader is somebody that you might find that's willing to clean the toilet, that you see walking out of the bathroom with a toilet brush. And a true leader would be a servant of all. So the person with a plunger in the bathroom duty and trash pickup, that person at your workplace, if there's ever a problem in the bathroom, he or she is willing to serve. That would make a good leader. So who is it at your workplace that you might say is a janitor? You know, And you might be like, well, we have janitors. But would that good leader go in and help the janitor? Has the boss or the leader ever led by a biblical example? Uh, Maybe you're the leader. Have you ever led by biblical example? Have you ever done something that appeared to be subservient to others regardless of what others thought? And a lot of time, that's what would make a good leader. So if everyone likes to lead and not everyone is qualified to lead, what happens if a good leader is found? You know, what happens if we find a good leader? Well, even that poses a problem because there are always those who will think, This person should do better and maybe could do better. Because if we do find a great leader, that leads biblically, we tend to put too much trust in that one individual. And so we begin following his life rather than listening to the Lord. We need to be careful. These are some of the frustrations Israel faces looking for a leader. As we read verse 1 in chapter 8, it says, Now it came to pass when Samuel was old that he made his sons judges over Israel. So Samuel makes his sons judges. Verse 2, the name of his firstborn was Joel, and the name of his second, Abijah. And they were judges in Beersheba. Now it came to pass. When we look at this, we have to think of a couple of different things. The phrase, now it came to pass, occurs more than 65 times between Genesis and Revelation. And it's not just in past tense, because in the Hebrew, it's also in the present tense. So It is as if the author is saying, you're not going to believe what happens next. And so what is the question we need to ask? So what with this? What's the big deal? Well, it has a dual definition. And that's not the only reason. All things come to pass when you think about it. Remember the the Philistines were were ready to, to fight again. And the Ark of the Covenant had come back into the camp. And Samuel does his prayer. And they rely wholeheartedly upon God. And they're like, whatever you do, you keep praying. They finally realize that without God, they can't do anything. And so now it had come to pass. It's over. That portion's over. And we know that. Just like every good TV episode or every good movie, at some point it comes to an end. Everything that has a beginning has an ending. And so it had come to pass in the same manner. The person or your problem, it'll be a problem of the past. Whatever you're going through today will eventually be a problem of your past. And so it will come to pass as well. Well, why am I making a big deal out of this? Well, I'll tell you why I'm making a big deal out of this. We'll let someone lead our lives. We will follow someone in our lives and we'll let them lead us down a path. We might look up to them. We might think that, oh, wow, this guy... He's awesome. Or this girl, she's wonderful. And we may let them lead for a little while because all of a sudden we start to see little things that when they were perfect, we didn't see it when they really weren't perfect. And these little things start to pop up. And so if I'm going to let someone lead and then because there's a problem in my life, 
right? And sometimes that happens. We decide to follow someone because there's a problem in our life. Then you got to realize that problem will soon pass. So if you chose that person to lead your life or you chose to follow that person just because there's a problem in your life, when that problem passes, will that person pass? Will you just let that person pass on? And if that thing will pass, then do I want to follow who I just needed for the moment for longer? Or am I just going to continue to follow a bad leader? Or am I just going to let them drop off? Well, he or she is a good leader. Now we have to put our hope and trust in them. What do you do when they pass? Just like Israel had put their trust in Samuel. Israel had put all their trust in Samuel and they start to notice something. He's getting old. And so if like statistics prove, one out of every one person dies. So the elders see a few problems. Number one, Samuel's old. He'll eventually die. Number two, his sons. Let's read about his sons. Verse three, but his sons did not walk in his ways. His sons did not walk in his ways. So they were nothing like Samuel. And so all of a sudden, the second problem is he's got two sons that don't walk in his ways. And if you're looking to and putting trust in something or someone, then we kind of just miss the whole point. If we put our trust and our hope in a person, we we miss the point. Turn to Hebrews chapter 6 for me real quick, and I'll show you what I'm talking about. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 17. Verse 17 says, Thus God determining to show more abundantly to the heirs of promise the immutability of his counsel confirmed it by an oath, that by two immutable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we might have strong consolation, who have fled for refuge to lay hold of the hope set before us. This hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, which enters... The presence behind the veil, where the forerunner has entered for us, even Jesus, having become high priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. Scripture says, don't look to the problem, it will pass, and so will the person. But you can rest in the promise of Jesus Christ. We can rest in the promise of Jesus Christ. The two immutable things, his promise is one. And the second is the promise that's linked to a person. And so I anchor my soul to that person, to those two immutable things. Those two immutable things. It allows my heart to remain stable. I don't have to freak out and worry when someone passes or when something passes. And it works like this. If God cannot lie and it's not part of his nature, and then Jesus died and three days later rises from the dead, conquers hell and death, now I know I have an anchor for my soul. I have two immutable things. Those two immutable things are the anchor for my soul. I live a specific lifestyle. And you and I both should live a specific lifestyle because I believe that this word is true. Because you believe that the word is true. Now, some of you might think, well, I believe some of it is true. Well, that's foolish because the part you might believe is true might be uh, if another guy believes like you that some of it's true, then the part you believe being true, that other guy might say, well, that's not true, but this part is. And you're like, well, that's not true. Then who's to say what is true? So those two immutable things that we live by, that we can anchor our soul to, that we live that specific lifestyle is one that the author of this word would not lie and that his son, Jesus Christ, had died 
conquered hell and death, and so we have that anchor for our soul. So we see Israel, back in 1 Samuel, turn back there, make some mistakes, the same ones that we tend to do. So with that kind of as, as something we need to know in Hebrews, if you want to highlight it, highlight it. Hebrews 16, 6, 17 through 20. Back in 1 Samuel, verse 2 and 3, is speaking about, again, we see bad priest kids. Or, in modern lingo, bad pastor's kids. And have you ever known bad pastor's kids? You know, you always hear the PK, about the PK, the preacher's kids, or whatever. But I don't think it has to do so much with the kid as it does with their position. It has to do more with their position. Pastor's kids walk a fine line between two very severe extremes. And most of you don't realize this, but they do. I know some pastor's kids. I'm friends with some pastor's kids. And so you understand, you begin to watch them, and you see the two extremes that they walk through. The pastor's kid is constantly under attack in the world. Constantly under attack in the world. He's fine here at the church when he plays with his friends. But when he goes out into the world with the friends that don't go to church or have parents that understand the things of the Bible, then he is under attack because they don't understand. Those kids that he's friends with do not understand why he or she is acting or living that way. Come on, Christian kid. You can do this. It's okay. Look, I'm doing it. And then they say no. And then they're ridiculed. Or if you can't do that, then you should be able to do this because my dad will let you. And then they go and talk to their dad and the dad goes, yeah, it's okay. And then that pastor's kid walks over and says, well, gosh, my little friend Billy's getting to do it. And his dad said, it's okay. That's an adult. And my mom and dad told me to respect adults. So I'm going to go ahead and do this. And so they're stuck. And so if you can do it, then you, uh, you know, if I can do it, my dad says you can, then you should be able to do it. Then they're taunted with that peer pressure. They have peer pressure. Oh, you mean you can't do that? So let's say they take a stand on that thing that dad said, yeah, it was okay. And now's the peer pressure. And then the other kid says, well, I'll prove that you can do it because I'll show you. And then this other kid does it, makes it look fun. So there's that constant persecution in the world. Now, you and I might think, yeah, that's, that's not bad. Well, for a little kid, it's rough. It'd take yourself back to sixth and seventh grade, and you'll realize that, yeah, peer pressure was a tough thing. Everybody was doing it. You, as an adult, still suffer with peer pressure. A lot of you dress a certain way because, well, people around you dress that way. We're kind of stuck to the culture. So constant persecution in the world. That's extreme number one. And I'm not just talking for pastors, kids. I'm just also speaking for Christian kids overall. Uh, there's a mom and dad, and, and you don't. And we could say priest kids because all of you are to be called your priest, bridge builders. And so the other is, well, he moves from persecution in the world to praise in the church. To praise in the church. Oh, you're his son. Oh, you're going to be just like daddy. I can't tell you how many times Asa and I have heard that. Oh, you're going to be just like your dad. I've heard it from other pastors. Oh, man, this is your son. Awesome. A little evangelist, a little pastor. I'm like, yeah, just lay that on him real heavy. Why don't you make it, make it hard, you know? I understand the spirit in that, but there's pressure in that as well. So, and then they get down in his face. Are you going to be a pastor? Are you, are you the little pastor? 
Uh, my son already comes up and tells me, Dad, I'll be the little pastor. You be the big one. He, he's already finding position inside here. And so now he, he goes outside in the world, and he's got these two extremes that are real rough. And then they'll say, oh, you're going to make a good-looking pastor. Like his dad doesn't? I'm kidding. But So if the problem isn't one of these two extremes from one side persecutes and the other side prays, well, then the problem might lie with the pastor, with the dad, with me. If it's not one of the two extremes, it could be me. It could be the parents. See, I have to juggle a flock and a family and a work. Three things to juggle. I mean, it's easy to juggle two things. You just throw them up, catch them with one hand. But that third thing requires some skill. And so sometimes pastors do that. They'll juggle the flock and the family. And the reason it's hard is because he knows he's called by God. I know that I'm called by God. You know you might be serving in a ministry and you have children. You know you might be called by God to do that ministry, to care for a portion of the flock or all of the flock. And, and as a pastor, that pastor knows it's his responsibility to do so. And he loves them, that pastor does. But he also knows that God wants him to care for his family. That's his first ministry. And so now he's got these two extremes as well. And from time to time, the family understands. The family's cool with it because they know he's doing the things for God. Dad goes away. He's gone. Yesterday, I called my daughter, and she was amazed to find out I was coming home from a conference the same day I'd left for a conference. I told her, I said, I'll see you in a little while. Dad, you're coming home today? Yeah. Because she understands in her little mind when conference time happens that we're gone. And if they don't go, then I'm gone for a while. I'm away from them. And so the family's cool with that. So the pastor, he'll sometimes say, hey, I'll see you by 6 or maybe 7 or 9. Or yeah, I'll see you in the morning. And so the more that happens, if he's not involved with the kids as a dad, as a Christian dad, if you're not involved with your kids, the kids start to rebel. The kids start to resist anything that looks like the Lord because that is the thing That is the one main person that has pulled them away, pulled his dad away from him or her. So they start to resist. There's this resistance. They don't want to have anything to do with the Lord. And so all of a sudden, there are people at church that will listen to him, the pastor. So now the family's rebelling. The mom, the kids are kind of upset. It's kind of like, an adulterous relationship that I have with this flock. I told somebody that Friday night at an event that I was at, not here at the prayer event. I had to leave that and go somewhere else. And I said, you know, my wife, they said, well, how's your wife feel about all this? And I said, well, you know, she understands she shares me with a lot of people in our church. And it's kind of like an adulterous relationship. One of the ladies was looking, was like, oh, you, well, you're having one of those? I go, yeah, it's with my ministry. I'm pulled away from my family to tend to things with your families and stuff. And not that that's a bad thing. We understand. We do that. But there's got to be balance. So if there's no balance in my home, in that pastor's home, those kids will tend to rebel. And so then he's spending more time at church. The pastor now finds himself in that adulterous affair. It isn't a woman. It's the body of Christ. And again, there's problems. I know pastors that have a big staff, and they say, and their rule is, hey, You know, I know we have Sunday night service, we have a Wednesday night service, and we have a Saturday night service. Certainly you guys are only allowed to be away from your family three nights a week, so you have to spend four nights with them. 
And that's fair. That's a good amount of time because that's more, they're spending more time with family than they are at the church. And so there are those rules that they have to set up. There are those times when I just have to say no to certain things. And so that's very important. There are those times when we say yes to a lot of things in one week. And then the next week we'll say no to a lot of things. Today I had to say no to something. I didn't want to, but I had to think, man, you know, I was gone all day yesterday. We had an event here on Friday. I was gone till about 9 or 10 on Friday night. I really didn't get to hang out with my family, except on Thursday and a little bit on Friday. So, yeah, you know, we're, we're balancing there. But I need to make sure because I, I don't know what tomorrow will bring. So I had to say no to something today. And so, again, these people, you know, and, and the pastors, they don't want those kids saying you spend more time at church than you do at home. Once your kid knows you want to be around them, they know it. They know you're, you want to be around them. And, and you build this great foundation with Jesus uh, being the foundation. And then you can begin to put these pillars in place. You can start, once you lay that foundation, you can start to put the walls up, the pillars up, to hold up the ceiling and stuff. So rules and regulations with relationship for your children, for my children, work. And these are just basic. Because we can see this guy, he's a great man of God, yet his kids are not. And we see it for a second time. And it's easy to say, well, all he knew was Eli because he grew up with Eli. And Eli's kids, we know, these guys aren't as bad, we might think. We might put a degree on it because, you know what, they're not stealing meat. And they're not sleeping with prostitutes at the temple. They're only taking bribes and perverted justice. They're only like, hey, pay me a certain amount of money. You know what, I won't have you stoned to death for doing what you did. Not as bad as the other two, Hophni and Phinehas. But nonetheless, in the sight of the Lord, they're not good. In the sight of the people, uh, they're not good either. And so rules and regulations with relationship work. Set rules. If you don't want your kid jumping on the couch, basically don't ever allow it. But if you allow him today, and then tomorrow you come home and you're tired, and he's doing that, and you're like, get off the couch. And he's like, well, you let me do it yesterday, and you were jumping with me. Don't do that. Set those rules and regulations. Get on to him for doing it. And then he's not going to understand when he jumps and you're like, he's like, well, you did it with me yesterday. Now, there's a fine balance of there's a time to play and a time not to play. There's first-time obedience. And so, you know, we tend to confuse our own kids. Rules without relationship leads to rebellion. The relationship works this way. You expect your kids to obey and honor, but they expect you to tell them what what it is you're looking for. The people we meet in the book of 1 Samuel are quite the characters. We meet a woman who gave her only child to God and a boy who heard and answered the call of the Lord. We also find a frightened king and a brave shepherd boy, both of whom would lead the people of Israel. Through each of these people and circumstances, we discover God's hand at work in powerful ways. We are so glad you tuned in today to Come Alive. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast on Google Play or iTunes to keep up to date with the latest from Come Alive and the church behind it. Calvary Chapel Katy is led by Pastor Mark Martinez and a staff of Jesus-loving, friendly people who do all we can to spread the good news of the gospel to all who walk through our doors. 
you're in the Katy area, Tracy has an invitation for you. We'd absolutely love to have you join us here at Calvary Chapel Katy for our Sunday morning service. We're now meeting at Wood Creek Elementary School, located at 1155 Wood Creek Bend Lane. It's exciting to be in a new space, and we hope you're able to come worship the Savior and study the Bible with us, filling our new home with praise and prayer. Give us a call for more information and directions, and we look forward to seeing you soon. Our phone number is 281-391-5503. That's 281-391-5503. Thanks for listening today to Come Alive.